Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. I'm Kyone Wolf, and this is What's Your Problem? Since Colin McEnroe's away, I'm taking over with a radio version of my live advice show. I do it every third Saturday at CT Improv's Underground Comedy Theater in downtown Hartford, but... Today I'm joined in studio at WNPR with some of our regular NOSE panelists. Rich Holland, he's the principal and design director at CoLab and teaches problem solving at the University of Hartford's Hartford Art School. Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College and Jim Chapdelaine is an Emmy Award winning musician, producer, composer, recording engineer and patient advocate for people with rare cancers. Welcome everybody. Whee! Great to be here. <laughs> All right, here's the idea. A lot of people love giving and getting advice. There's a connection there. There's a feeling that you're less alone there, even if you decide not to take the advice. So I collected today's problems from a few sources, some from the live CT improv show where people anonymously write down their problems, from problems I'm seeing in my community, from Reddit because, well, Reddit, and from you. All week we've been accepting problems from our listeners on Facebook and Twitter, and I want to hear your thoughts during today's show on Twitter at WNPRCollin. We'll spend the first two segments talking about the problems that our panelists have been simmering over all week, and the final segment will be a lightning round featuring these listener-submitted problems. I'd really love to hear your voice on the air as we go. So if you hear a problem, and it's happened to you, or if you have a story that it reminds you of, or if you have some profound insight that might totally blow our minds, give us a call, 860-275-7266, or tweet at WNPR Colin. All right, panel, are you ready for the first problem? Yep. yep. Let's solve. Yes. All right. The first problem is this, and I, and I have to warn any parents who might be listening, um, this one involves how much truth you use with your kids, especially at end-of-the-year type celebrations. So if you want to switch back to us in about 10 minutes or so, go for it. So And infantile adults. And infantile adults. You're going to want to just turn it down. Um, so the first problem is this. Hopefully you've had time. Should we tell our kids that Santa Claus is a lie? Rich. Oh, my God. Okay, so first, is Santa Claus a lie? Thank you, yes. Rich. All right. Okay. So then you ruined that for me. Um, <laughs> I think that I think it all depends on where you're coming from. Uh, if you think it's a lie and you're approaching it as you're lying to your kids, then don't do that. Yeah. Um, but if you're approaching it as um, let's create an environment for our kids that's full of magic and full of wonder and full of splendor that they could kind of take on with them through the rest of their lives, then by all means, jump into it that way. Uh, I think about when, uh, when my kids were, were small, um, the, uh, the, the depths to which we would go uh, to, to create the illusion that these things existed, uh, that these sort of uh, fantasy wonderful things were real, was tremendous. Um, there's a, you know, so it was the usual like, Easter Bunny, uh, the Tooth Turkey fairy. Tooth Fairy, Santa Claus thing. But it actually went beyond that. There's this one story that I could tell you really quickly uh, where um, an astronaut, I'm pretty sure, I can't remember which one it was right now. It might have been Gus Grissom. I can't remember who. But it was an astronaut had died. It was uh, 1998. 
And uh, and one of my kids was uh, seven at the time. He was heavy, heavy into space. It's a thing that I did to him. And um, and we went out in Rockledge Golf Course in the middle of the night because uh, he couldn't sleep. And we were just lying on this on the ground talking to to dead astronauts as though they were existing. And you could see the sort of plane towers on the far end of of the uh, golf course. There were flashing lights at the top. And we were convinced that it was the uh, the shuttle Columbia that was meeting up with this with this newly dead astronaut wow. uh, going off on some other adventures. And um, and we collected a stone uh, that had some little metal objects on it and put it in a pot to boil overnight with a bunch of chemistry that we tried to figure out what we would do to turn this stone to gold, you know? So we just mixed all kinds of herbs and spices into this thing. And when he woke up in the morning, uh, I had spray painted this thing gold oh. and left it in an empty pot. Oh, rich. And I'm telling you, I go Done. out of That's my cool. way. I go That's out cool. of my way to do ridiculous things like this. And, uh, and so it felt real to him. And when he, when... Wait, does he know now? Yeah, no, he's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they're all, like, brilliant scientists and... <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but uh, uh, what came out of these experiences for them is a real sense of wonder and a real conviction uh, that, um, of what can grow out of the things that you believe in. And they, each child, as he started figuring things out, would sort of work on the the game uh, with his uh, younger siblings. So it became a sort of cultural thing in our house. Uh, yeah, I mean, you had me going, oh, cool. But yeah. when I think about Santa Claus, I don't go, oh, cool. Irene, mm-hmm. what do you think? Well, you know, that story actually is reminding me because I'm the, I'm the oldest of five kids. And I used to, um, my parents, who knows where they were. But I would fool my younger siblings into thinking, you know, that we could talk. Like we even had this thing, like we're all going to talk to God. And I would say... Yes, hello. <laughs> and they would say, "Wait a minute, Irene. It's that really." And we would do it in a we would do it in a dark room. We would all get in this dark room, and I would and they would say they would ask me questions, and I would answer as God. And then later they would say, "Irene, that was really you, right?" And I say, "No, no, it wasn't really me." You know. And so I fooled them, but I I can't stand. I mean, as a parent, I could not. I could not. You know, I love magic. Magic is great, but. Um, I just feel like there the, the the a deliberate lie is really toxic. So and did you because not? Did you not tell your kids? I did not. What did tell, you tell your kids? I you have said. Go ahead. Some people believe this, you know, right. but we it's a spirit of magic. It's sort of like because I was uh, when I was a child, I was so into it. I was so into the fantasy, and I wanted to see him. And so I woke up in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve. And went down there, like, hoping, you know, with starry eyes, I'm going to see him, I'm going to see him, it's going to be so great. And then I get there and I see my mother, you know, like, doing something under the tree. And I was so devastated. Uh. I was just like, I mean, it, it just, it just, I feel like it hurt me so much. And so that's why I couldn't do it to my child because I feel like it's a deliberate my 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 parenting idea is all was always I'm never gonna I'm not gonna lie to him you know mm-hmm. I might say I'm not gonna tell you this but so uh, you might withhold I might say thing. yeah there's some some things I don't want to tell you you know we're not going to talk about this now but I would never deliberately say something that was a lie because I feel like that maybe that messed me up as a child you're but still maybe talking about it and I'm still talking right. about it and I'm still thinking about the pain as I discuss it see when I saw so. the presence under my parents bed there was this feeling of oh, that's the technique under the bed. Like, I, it was this weird shift of, mm-hmm. 
I kind of didn't believe them all along anyway, but it's cool, like, oh, this is how they do it. You know what I mean? And is it because you didn't quite believe, like, sort of, you knew, you had one, you had the edge of of the knowledge that it was. Maybe. And that could have been just my brain chemistry, you know, or I I, I, I have no idea. If you uh, have any thoughts on this, give us a call, 860-275-7200. Six six. Chapdelaine, what do you think? Well, a couple of things. So, first of all, that <clears throat> that's the sand. All these wagons are are going with or without us. So you're really deciding whether you're going to hitch mm-hmm. your cart to that wagon as a family, right? Because when they go to school, probably the majority of kids are believing in these things, and so you got to decide how much you're going to opt in. The other thing is all of these things, as you guys are sitting here talking. Uh, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, especially Santa Claus, are all about inviting somebody you don't know into your house in the middle of the night. Dude. And, and so my daughter, when it came to the Tooth Fairy, was she liked the money, right? But she didn't want it under her pillow because that meant some creep was going to come into her room true. while she was sleeping and put some money under her pillow. So it's a pretty and weird— And taking your tooth. Taking and your taking something for me. Taking right, the body right. Part. So, so it's sort of Do a they weird... take the tooth in your house? Oh, they oh, take yeah. the tooth. Oh, yeah. see, they, we have and a tooth And then there's collection. a tooth collection. There you go. <laughs> That's yeah. even freakier. Yeah, yeah, go yeah. on, Chaplain. So, so my point is that the whole thing is, is it's a pretty weird thing culturally to do. Is And then later on we say don't talk to strangers. You know, invite them into your house, into your room while you're sleeping. But don't talk to them. No, no. We say don't talk to unapproved strangers, <laughs> right? You know, like well, what's if, an approved if stranger? an adult but has, you if technically an adult have has not met the tooth fairy, right? I most certainly have. <laughs> it's my wife. She's the one that carries the cash. Um, I, I think you know that Macy Gray song. Uh, I can't remember what the heck the title of it is. Well, but there's, like, go ahead. There's sing a, it. Try to say goodbye, goodbye and I joke. joke. Yeah. It's it's like a it's like a Gaga love song. Uh-huh. Somewhere in the middle of it, she just screams out, "It's like Santa Claus!" You know, it's yeah. awesome. She doesn't scream out; it's like elves on a shelf. So right, that's right. kind of different. But right. So you don't lose the magic thing. of Santa Claus no. when you are discovered. So my there's a gradual sort of understanding, like maybe you find the presents, right? In my case, I was still in full throes of Santa belief. And and my, unbeknownst to me, my parents had set up the living room on Christmas Eve, put us to bed, and called a babysitter, and went to a party. And I woke up excited like kids do, and I shook the babysitter who was sleeping, and I thought it was my mom. I said, Mom, he was here. Can we open the presents? And so I woke up my brother said, he was here. Let's go open this stuff. Let's tear. And we opened everything. We had the men set up. We had stuff flying. We had guns popping. Everything. And then my parents walked in on that scene. Uh, and it was like reality change. Like brutal. not only is it not only are we in big trouble somehow, but but clearly, <laughs> clearly oh. my belief system has changed radically. But why? But so did that make you know that it, it hadn't been, you know, Santa? Well, they walked in and screamed at us, yeah. Um, but so, he, had so, ar- he had already deposited the, the, the stuff. And then the babysitter right? walked out. Like, where did yeah, you right. come from? You were my mother a few So it's like this <laughs> lie has yeah. value, right? It has value. It has tradition. It has uh, sentimentality and magic, right, Rich? But it also has consequences, Irene. 
where you could be talking on a radio show many decades <laughs> later to yeah. say, like, this really sucked. This was hard. Well, and I guess if you think I... about it as a lie, or like the way you set mm. it up in the beginning, Rich, it's like if you think about it as a lie versus you think about it as magic. Mm. That's yeah. a good point. I have to tell you, my, my experiences with the whole Santa thing was was very much like yours. And so when I when I had, uh, when my kids were born, I was like, yeah, there's no way that we're doing this nonsense. I'm telling yeah. the truth and just, you know, you don't lie to kids. It's just a bunch of hooey. Um, and, you know... Uh, in the process of trying to uh, instill a sense of wonder and uh, a sense of possibility in all things in these kids, uh, I was willing to go down just about any road that wasn't you know dark and sinister. Well, it's not like you're traumatizing him with no. Santa Claus, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Plus, plus that's he, that fine line. Plus, too. Santa Claus only goes in your living room or wherever the, the tree is. He <laughs> yeah. doesn't come right up in your room and or any reach bathroom under your pillow. As as I've heard. No, yeah. that's true. All right. Well, I think it's about time to move on to the next problem. I'm Kyone Wolf, and you're listening to my live advice show, What's Your Problem, which you're invited to catch every third Saturday at CT Improv. The next one's October 21st at 7 p.m. All right. The next problem with Jim Chapterlain, Rich Holland, and Irene Papoulis. Um, I want to get your voice on the air, so if you have any interest in informing us of your experience with this, uh, with this next problem, 860-275-7266. The next problem is this. I'm beginning to love feeling angry. Rich. Um, so Shut up, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm now going to ask Irene and Jim to switch seats uh-huh. so that I can sit a little closer to Irene and not have Jim between us. Um, uh. Yeah, you know this thing about anger. Um, so, the the disclaimer for me is: anger is healthy. Anger is good. Anger is not rage. There is a difference. Mm. Um, uh, anger is productive. Uh, anger could be uh, put to really good use. Uh, most of the things in the world that have gotten changed for the better uh, have done so because of someone who made. And uh, an absolute no and move forward to see that no take place. Uh, so I have a tremendous, tremendous amount of respect for anger. And it's, I think, a thing that, uh, that we should embrace. Um, but I, read, I hear that question in the context of kind of almost the way you delivered it, right? Oh, it's like, oh, I'm falling in love with my anger. And... I'm starting to see that all over the place lately. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to see uh, um, folks taking that uh, that permission uh, to embrace this incredibly reverent thing, um, and uh, and be kind of adulterating with it uh, to take it to to an extreme and to keep feeding it and to keep looking for opportunities to express it like uh, a form of uh, you know addiction of sorts and um, and that you can't get enough of being angry and uh, it's all over our social media. Yeah. It's all over our regular media. It's in the streets when you're driving. Um, it's in the streets in front of you when you're driving and behind the wheel when you're driving. Yeah. When you're on a bike. When you're on a bike. Exactly. And and it's sort of everywhere. And it's trans. It's replaced grace. Uh, it's replaced um, patience. It's replaced empathy. It's replaced taking a breath. And um, And so this idea of this sort of love affair with anger 
is a thing that uh, that I caution against. You mentioned the word patience. It makes me wonder if, if you are patient with your anger. That's probably the unhealthier way to deal with it. There's, there's maybe an urgency to anger. I, I, that's getting even further down another direction. But Irene, yeah. what do you think? I mean, I was actually thinking, you know, if you think about all that anger that's around us, why is that? What is that? The, the kind of anger that replaces grace is sort of saying like, you're, you know, you can't do that to me. It's like some kind of attempt at self-preservation in some way. Like I'm, I'm more important than you are and my, my situation isn't good. And so it's all your fault or somehow trying to blame it. Um, but yeah, so I, so that is toxic anger, but I think it's kind of what you were just get, trying to, what you were just getting at, Kayon, I think with this, with the sense of, or maybe it's sort of the opposite of it because it's being, being, um, well, I just feel like looking inward at your anger is different from just expressing it outward, you know, mm-hmm. and it also depends on the kind of person you are. Like I'm the kind of person that virtually never gets angry. It's really, really hard for me to get angry. So for me, that phrase, that 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 problem, um, I'm starting to like anger is ex- a sign of exhilaration. Like mm-hmm. for me, the fact of like, you know, something bothers me and I can just feel that rush of of energy that says like, I don't like that to me feels exciting and wonderful and good, but it's because I don't do it very often. You know, (laughs) it's sort of like some kind of, you know, it's a, you know, you could say gender might have something to do with it, but of course it's not the case that, you know, all women are like me and all men aren't, you know, but uh, for people who have trouble expressing anger, it can be exhilarating. And But if somebody who says they love expressing their anger and they're expressing it every day in their car, you know, then then I would have a different advice. Jim. So if, if you're angry all the time, which this suggests being in love with your anger, you're going to be angry more. Probably not good, right? Probably not good. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But just like people say – Hope without a strategy is just hope. Anger with a strategy, correctly focused, and suddenly we have the women's march, right? right. Because they're not there for to to. Their anger was the prime motivator, a reaction to an event, and that and that spread. They motivated a lot of people, including me. Yeah. And, but and how so, about you in your in your life? So it, I think there's two different ways to look at this. It, there's, if you're stewing in your juices all the time and you're just an angry person, unhealthy. Yeah. I could see why people get addicted to that because they would it, – it becomes a safe place to be. Oh, I know how yeah. to do this. I know how to be angry. I, like you, Irene, I'm not an angry person. I, I, when I got married, my wife told me, like, you need to learn how to get angry so you can stop taking antacids. Yeah. And boy, does she! What a she's so sorry that she. Say, right? No, it was great. Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, really wow, you can actually like get angry. That's that's yeah, cool. Yeah. But uh, I'm specifically think, talking right now that we have a lot of social anger, right. and I think there's something very positive that can come out of that if it's correctly strategized and focused. Yeah, and then uh, we, I mean, who 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 has this problem? You know, is this. Is this uh, a, uh, a person of color? Is this your racist parent? Is this uh, who who who's angry? So we you know we think about ourselves, and I think if I'm angry, I can speak from that point of view. But how how about the the other person who's angry? Who they're angry about something that I'm pleased about? Mm. What's yeah. good for the wolf is <laughs> bad for the bunny. I so that's actually really interesting. So yeah. so the question is, can we rank anger? 
mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, like whose anger whose anger is more entitled than another person's anger. Um, I think that everybody's entitled to their anger. Yeah. You know, um, uh, it it took a tremendous amount of um, of practicing uh, patience and stillness uh, to take a look at what was happening in Charlottesville and say that uh, that uh, those people that I fundamentally uh, disagree with are entitled to their anger. They are not entitled to the actions uh, mm-hmm. that go along with them. Um, there's, if they're uh, harmful, yeah. Exactly. I think that anger is just in uh, much like anxiety that we were talking about before being an indicator of something that matters to you. I think that anger is an indicator of something that matters to you as well. I agree uh, It doesn't mean that it sits unpacked. You know, you still have the responsibility to unpack that right. and to to get a good sense of uh, of whether it's legitimate, whether it's actually whether the focus of your anger is is the true issue. Yeah. You know, whether it's something that you're actually built up on your own, uh, whether it's an inability to be mad at yourself for what you've let your life become. You know, so there's a number of things that, that need to be unpacked about that. And that was the patience that I was referring to earlier. Yeah, and that, that's just reminding me. Um, there's this book by Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. monk, called Anger. And he sort of explores the idea of anger. And he said one of the things he says that always stuck with me is, you know, you should hold your anger in your arms like a baby and nurture it. Oh, my anger. What do you have to say to me? What do you what is what is it that's bothering you so much? And he says, you know, because if you have a stomach ache, you don't say, oh, I should get rid of my stomach, uh, you know. Uh, and in the same way, he says, you know, we could look at our anger that way, too, and, and try to heal it in some way. And that's kind of I think that's the same thing that you're saying. right? I, I started that book and I ended up throwing it. One thing I've started appreciating about my anger when I was um, when I was younger, I didn't feel a lot of anger and I didn't if I did I didn't indulge it and um, I find that since I don't know give or take about after November 9th I've been feeling angrier uh, more often and it's been really fascinating for me because usually like you Irene I don't find myself angry because in order to be really angry I have to feel righteous I have to feel like I am a hundred percent right in being angry because I don't want to be a fool who gets angry over nothing or or misunderstanding so it takes a lot for me to legitimately get angry and so now that I've been experiencing this anger I've been exploring like oh I think I'm right now I think I'm right, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm trying to find more information so I can make sure that I'm informed in my anger. And so that yeah. that contagion of anger that you're talking yeah. about can be very motivating, and it, it's almost a weird it's, unifying thing. And when you get together with people who are sharing that with you, you you discharge some of the anger because yeah. something positive comes out of these gatherings. It is playing with fire a little bit. I'm going to take a call from Phil from Cheshire. Phil, you're on the air. What's on your mind? What do you think? Hi. Um, I just wanted to recommend a little film, a uh, Spanish film. I think it's about four or five years old. It's on Netflix called No Filter. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but it's about a, a uh, 29-year-old Spanish woman who works in this advertising company, and she's just abused on all, by, on all sides by people who abuse her good nature. Um, her live-in painter boyfriend who never pays the bills, and has his very weird son move in with them. Um, her boss, uh, who does a lot of weird things, and instead of getting angry, she just gets very frustrated and just swallows her feelings until one day she goes to this herbal uh, doctor and has this magical moment where 
all this frustration is transformed into anger, and she starts being totally frank with everybody. Uh, and it actually turns out to be a very good thing for her. Uh, she she feels empowered. Um, she she changes her life, and uh, so I would I would say that constant anger without any change is definitely a bad thing. But it, this movie shows that sometimes you need that anger to to move and to uh, to recognize that you're in a bad place and and help you get to a, a better place. Awesome. Thank you so much, Fabulous. Phil, for that recommendation. That was for No Filter, and I hope that people don't get angry that uh, there were some spoilers. So, <laughs> All right, on that note, we're going to head to a break. This is What's Your Problem featuring Rich Holland, Irene Papoulis, and Jim Chapdelaine. I'm Kyone Wolf, and for Colin McEnroe, if the next couple problems make you perk up and you want to call in with your thoughts, the number is 860-275-7266, or you can tweet at WNPR Colin. Stay tuned for more problems right after this. Is that really worth stressing? Is that really worth stressing? What's your problem, huh? Have you got one? Have a little perspective. What's your problem, huh? What's your problem? Welcome back. I'm Kyone Wolf, in for Colin McEnroe, and we're doing a radio version of my live advice show, What's Your Problem? Normally, it's every third Saturday at CT Improv's Underground Comedy Theater in downtown Hartford, but today we're joined in studio here at WNPR with Rich Holland. He's the principal and design director at CoLab, and he teaches problem solving at the University of Hartford, Hartford Art School. We're with Irene Papoulis, who teaches writing at Trinity College, and Jim Chapdelaine, an Emmy Award-winning musician, producer, composer, recording engineer, and a patient advocate for, pe- with, for people with rare cancers. We've already addressed lying to our kids, whether we call it lying or not. Uh, we've, we've talked about loving, feeling angry, and we're on to the next two problems. So the number to call if you have any insights on this next one is 860-275-7266 or tweet at WNPR Colin. All right, the next problem is this. I make original music. I can't tell if I really am good or if my friends and family are just being nice. Chapdelaine, you're the Emmy Award-winning producer in the room, so what's what do you think? Um, I, I think that's a, a universal problem with everyone. It it's it changes when there's money involved. <laughs> that's a good right? point. So it, does, it does. So I, I mean, <laughs> I'm sitting in a room oftentimes with somebody who has a song, and and the best artists can hear. Outside, they want to hear. Like, how can I make this better? So, and, and they're more likely to hear it if there's money involved because it, money is somehow conferring authority in some weird way. You know, somehow they ended up in this this room. We end up in this room together for a reason. So, it, it also is with friends. So, um, I th- I think. This sounds like a lot of people make original music. I'm not, I think we yeah. probably expand this to writing, to any any, any creative endeavor, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so, if we can't hear about the truth about our our endeavors, then they're just going to sit in this sort of tub of mediocrity. Didn't, speaking of money, didn't Rebecca Black the Friday? <clears throat> I'm sorry to put that song in your head, everybody, but that song Friday didn't wasn't didn't she pay to have that produced and? Made viral, isn't there? Isn't there part of that in the music industry where if you are a yeah. super rich kid, oh yeah, yeah, yeah person, yeah, you sure. could just but say that's part of every industry. Maybe that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> that's part of every single uh, industry in the world. I All think right. right now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think I think if your friend if you feel like your friends are just being nice to you when you're playing something, and so maybe that's not even in a professional context, but mm-hmm. like I'm going to play mm-hmm. somebody a song on the guitar. If you think they're trying to their your friends are just trying to be nice they probably are you know yeah. it's like, like if that occurs to you at all if that i kind of have a feeling because it's so hard to discuss it, it is hard as somebody who has trouble who would have trouble 
saying the truth, as you say, if there is a truth, um, because you could just say it's a case. Well, there isn't a truth. There's an there, opinion. There's some people like it. Some yeah. people yeah. don't. Yeah. But um, <laughs> some more opinion I, opinions are more popular I, I, than right. others. Yeah, and I think it's really hard to disguise it. You know, like yeah. so the word interesting. Oh, it's really interesting. <laughs> you know, when people say that, that's different. A, that's kind that's of a different. clue. It's different. It's yeah. kind of kind of unusual. That's you know, that's kind of a clue that that's you know the what they're just trying to the, find it something. Is good literally to say. off the charts. It's not off getting the on the charts <laughs> for a second. Yeah. It sort of yeah. reminds me of my mom. Reminds me of when I heard a. Uh, the advice that if you ever see an ugly baby, you should say, now that's a baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now yeah. that's a song yeah. that is off the charts. Rich, what do so, you think? Um, I think we are all like lobsters when we share something like that. There's this mm. this this idea of this lobster at the uh, at the bottom of the sea that when it's trying to grow into its, its newer, more expanded self, uh, has to shed its shell. To, to be able to do that and then grow a new shell. And in that period uh, between when it sheds its shell and it grows the new one, the thing is at its most vulnerable place. Aww. So I think that Poor when... Lobster. <laughs> so I think that when we're doing this, you know, when uh, folks who aren't accustomed to, to sharing their inner creativity, what they consider to be their true deep self uh, with somebody else... Uh, you're being a little lobster at that moment, right? And and I think that uh, friends and family who who are aware of that are going to be really kind to you. So don't take their advice. Ask somebody else. Yeah, somebody <laughs> you doesn't. Know, who doesn't, I, I would, but who would you want them? You. Do you want them to be kind or would you well, want you them to be say I, I don't question. think that you have a choice about it. I think they're going to be kind whether you want <laughs> them to true. or not. Well, um, so what if they say something like, so I heard you want to play music in the worst way. Nice job. So now I have folks, I have, so I know someone, not going to mention name, you know, that whenever uh, I, I play music out publicly, will find a way to say, just be softer. Ooh. You know, that always works better. Well, there's you this know. inflection too, the up and, it's good. But be good. Softer. You know, good. so, but, it's, but it's I good. mean, but. I can hear that as as useful advice now. The first time it was crushing and I couldn't hit a note, yeah. <laughs> you know. But now it's it's useful advice. Jim, I actually kind of I see where you're going with expanding it to to other forms of art. But for some reason, there's something specific about playing money, uh, playing money, <laughs> <laughs> playing music or singing. Well, it's very in front immediate, somebody. right? Yeah. So it's immediate, and you're right there in the moment. Um, and I w- I'll add to that that for me, as somebody who does that for a living. I'm I'm much more comfortable in front of a thousand strangers, mm-hmm. and Me too. and I feel completely relaxed. If I'm in a room with like four or five friends and somebody says play one of your songs, paralyzing. I, you I, I become play? rich as I, lobster. I agree completely. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, I agree with that. It's, and my, me, my thought is that the to me that's are, terrifying. If, if I'm in too front intimate. of if I'm in front of fifty thousand people, I bet I'm going to get at least one of them to like me. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know, the right, odds right. are just the really right. increasing. And there's and also you the same yeah. thing where you're, there's a, con, something is conveyed upon you, right? You're being paid to be there. You assume those people are there because they want to be there. When you play songs in front of your friends, in a, you know, every now and then somebody's, oh, play us something. Play yeah. I start shaking. You know, please don't oh, make me do that. I can't so. believe it. That's well, amazing. Oh, I'm, now, I'm we know, now we know that Jim is a human being. But I mean, because he's such a g- wonderful museum, m- musician and you've had so much experience. In good museum. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's been around for All right, museum. So, yeah. Now that's a museum. Yeah. The part that's that's interesting to me also is that it's it shifts based on some people. There are people who are playing live 
and and with a kind of enthusiasm, and they really are awful yeah. and have no sense of that whatsoever. And there are and, people who will come to your house and play thirty songs unsolicited. Yeah, and and that's <laughs> kind of like a little there's a, a discomfort with that too, yeah. right? Oh yeah. Well, then there's also the question of I mean. You're addressing it sort of now. Do you have to be bad before you're good? Like, who are you allowed sure to be vulnerable do. in front yeah, That's right. No, that's a good question. Yeah. So I think my, my, my realization in life right now is just be vulnerable, period. Amen. You know? And, um, and you'll, you'll accelerate the learning process. I agree. Uh, and none of it is personal. Um, I, I remember that the, the very first time that I did this show – uh, I went and took a nap afterwards uh, because it is it was so uncomfortable for me to uh, to just be live, not having considered really uh, where the conversation was going to go and just being terrified of that experience. I remember the first time I got on a stage uh, to, to speak in front of a, a large crowd. Oh, my goodness. I didn't think that I was going to make it through the thing. Uh, and I was just so thankful that uh, what it looked like from the side stage where you could see everybody was very different from being in the center of the stage with lights in your eyes and you couldn't see anyone at all. You know, so, so that um, there is this, this thing about performing live in front of people uh, that, is, that is so undaunting. I write, I create images, there's all this other creative stuff that I do that's, that's self-expressive, uh, that's about self-expression uh, that I could do easier um, yeah. Okay. So I would just say, would it be better though for for if your friend said, well, like say on that first day, well, you know, you should have done it a little differently. I don't think it was really that good. Like being honest, quote unquote. I would prefer to that. Being, why would you prefer? Are you sure you would prefer mm. that? I, I absolutely prefer it. A lot absolutely. of times. Really? Wouldn't mm-hmm. you sort of feel? I think we've unleashed the crack in here. I just got a message that says, next time we're together, I'll sing a song for you. I'm not a lobster. <laughs> but I think I don't know. I've heard so many students say, "Tear it apart," yeah. and then when people start, you start tearing it apart, then you can see how crushed they are by their, you know. Oh, that's sort of so Lord that's, of the Flies. That's actually that's a really really good distinction that you're making there because the first thing that you, that you posited to me uh, was that um, if a friend came to you and said, "Hey, you know, why don't you try it this way? It would work better," you know, yeah. uh, it's an indication of of how to improve it. Tearing a thing apart is is getting to the point of there was really no redeeming value in this thing. Let's burn it down and make something completely different out of it. Uh, uh, conversely, you know. if if something is good, you want to put it out on the table and try to kill it or make it better. And mm-hmm. if it survives, then it's really good. That's, right. that's one way of looking at this. I mean, uh, any sort of idea. Obviously, with a, a, a singer-songwriter, you're not saying to them, hey, play your song and we'll try to murder your song. We're, that's not the idea. But the idea is if, if there's something we can do to make it a good thing better, that's great. You know? Absolutely. And, there, yeah. and there's a craft to conveying that. There's mm-hmm. a way yeah. to learning how to communicate with people that's constructive. And we've got, a couple, we've okay. got a couple tweets coming through, and we kind of move on really soon. This is flying by. There's a tweet uh, from a listener saying, my friend since third grade sings her own songs on Facebook. She has a terrible voice, but I always give her positive support because she's so brave. And a tweet from Meredith says, for every artist that pours their heart and practices into something, there's probably an audience out there for them. I'm going to take a phone call. Paulo from East Hartford. Paulo, you're on the show. What do you think? Hi there. Excellent Hi. show. Thanks. Just a quick relative story. Um, I, when I was in college about 12 years ago, I had the pleasure of meeting um, a teenager. 
he had uh, some kind of autism. He was also a singer-songwriter. Uh, he was, okay, his sense of timing, where you're supposed to put four bars in a measure, he would put five or six. He didn't know when to switch. Um, he was so brave and so great that musicians ended up coming to him after he did his shows and asking him, you know, how long have you been playing? Well, you know, like, they wanted to say, hey, you should work on your timing, but they, they kind of knew that it wasn't about that. It was, uh, there were cynical people also who would say, get off the stage, blah, 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 because it's hard to listen to sometimes if you're, if you can't, um, separate, uh, the, you know, the language of music and, and, and the way you're supposed to take it in. A lot of people like their stuff, you know, cut like, uh, you know, the crust off the sandwich kind of thing. Right. I think it's all how you look at it. Um, uh, it's like kind of saying, uh, somebody who sings scat isn't really singing. I mean, they're making, they're making sounds in time, and, you know, if you dig it, you dig it. If you don't, you don't. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much for that phone call, Paolo. That was great. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next problem for this segment. Uh, and you're listening to What's Your Problem? We've got Jim Chapdelaine, Irene Papoulis, and Rich Holland. And uh, this, next pro- this next problem, Irene found in the New York Times advice section, and the summary of the problem is this. I'm seeing two <laughs> therapists. They don't know about each other. Do I need to tell them? Irene, why did this I stick with you? I just loved that. I mean, I, I think I think it's such an interest. I don't think I've ever heard. I don't know anyone who's ever seen two therapists at once. <laughs> Me neither. It's a New York thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the answer it was like the 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 moral uh, thing in the in the Times Magazine. Huh. The answer was you know you're not obligated to tell them if you're paying them. You know. But I was thinking, oh, my gosh, you've just missed such an opportunity to explore that, you know, I mean, in the in the sense of why would a person want to see two therapists, you know, and it made me just think about vulnerability, Mormon? you know, the confused Mormons. But yeah, but it's kind of like people, you know, you're supposed to be vulnerable to your therapist and tell them the truth, you know, so to have that huge secret, you're seeing another therapist on the side. I think it's such an interesting um, situation to be in, because why would a person you know, like maybe the other the other you could you could sort of have conflicting advice and then you would say to yourself or not even advice or feedback or understanding. And then you would always be fooling the therapist. I mean, I think people do that so much with each other. They fool people. (laughs) And to be fooling your therapist, why? Just for your own head so that you're, you know, so that nobody really has to see you as you really are, because there's always this little out that you have, which I think is such an interesting psychological. So they need a third therapist to (laughs) To sort out that. (laughs) Just referee the entire thing. The whole story. Yes, exactly. You know what? Right. Right. That's the only way to resolve that. That's the only you know, way. What what is it you about need an you? You odd two number to resolve that. <laughs> the fascinating yeah. thing about this for me is I don't think that you that I don't think that there is a rule that you should be truthful and open and honest with your therapist. I think <laughs> okay. that whatever you bring into the room is what you bring into the room. Uh, your yeah. dishonesty with your therapist That's true. You're, um, you is what you're actually to some degree. Yeah, exactly. Is is the work that you're going to be doing. Right. You know, so if what you're doing is is if you're a triangulator and you're triangulating with your therapist, you're doing the best possible work that you could do because <laughs> that is the work you need to be working on. Right. But are you working on it? That's what I was yeah, saying. Yeah, I think, how, how I think you you're an incredibly. It sounds like a new HBO it. series, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. My two therapists. <laughs> and you have two completely different narratives you're working, one with the Freudian and one with the Jungian or whatever they are. And yeah. 
It's yeah, a good I, way not to really be. It, yeah, I mean, don't you want to change something if you, by going to a therapist? Isn't that why people go because they want to change yeah. something but in their lives? Or maybe can, can I just but say I the first thing that bothers me that. about yeah. this? Huh. The the thing that bothers me initially most about this is the amount of money involved. I was, uh, I was like, wondering, on, right? is this insurance who covered could, who, too? Who can afford? If you have insurance? That's a good question. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I mean, yeah. obviously like, it's working for like this Like Tim person, said, yeah. this is an upper, upper, upper West Side yeah. problem. Yeah. 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 I can <laughs> confirm that. I once uh, uh, briefly dated a, a woman, smart woman. I had to audition for her therapist in New York City, of course, uh, on our first date. We had to go meet the therapist first. That is first. unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So but it, we wait, believe so you still. Like, it was a, a little bit of a deal breaker for me. Well, Josh, yeah, yeah. Our, our producer Josh says sociopaths, and he produced right. a show about sociopaths. Sociopaths have been shown to use therapy to hone their skill at deceiving mm-hmm. others and themselves. It's like practice for them in a safe place. Right. So maybe and with an expert. Is... And with an expert. And I would imagine if I was doing such a thing that I would want to compare advice as long as I was giving it, giving my, my problems or talking about it with the, the same way with both. I would, yeah, I'd be comparing well, that's that key, advice. right? If you're bringing right. the same set of problems to right. each. You know, maybe you're going to one because you don't like your hair. Right. You're going to the other because you don't like your shoes. I, I wonder, know. too. Like, I imagine if I had two therapists – that I have a hard time <laughs> believing that there, that two would be so good. Like I, I had one therapist when I was in high school, um, and she asked, she just asked the right questions. It wasn't about getting anything out of me and me volunteering information or controlling the situation. She just asked the right questions, questions I'd never thought to ask myself, and that's how I really blossomed. And that's yeah. really hard to find in my experience. So the question that I have for you around. So what this leads to me, right, is. If I hear, if I, if I imagine, and maybe I'm just talking about myself here, right? Uh, what's at the root of this issue? Should is, we let people know that Rich is in a reclining position? I am really. You yeah. seem very relaxed. I am. In leather pants. Anyway, go on. Is it's an issue of vulnerability and what this person is prepared to? It's it's the lobster thing again. What they're wow, <laughs> what they're growing theme. into, um, and uh, and and I extrapolate that outside because I think that what happens in therapy is sort of um, a microcosm of what's happening in your life overall, and it's the same uh, scenarios that you keep getting yourself into when you go to the grocery store or when you go to work or when you're with your spouse or with your kids or what have you. It just It's this empirical little uh, nugget that you just keep re- uh, replicating all yeah. over. It's amazing. And, and so, um, so what I wonder uh, with this person that needs to see two therapists is and can't be f- therefore fully open with either of them if the work that they're doing is around the limitations of intimacy. And, um, and, and so, I don't think that you're going to address your limitations of intimacy by starting by walking into that room and saying like, hey, you know what? I've got limitations of intimacy and I'm seeing another therapist <laughs> because then you're going to have to do that some other way right. to and get then it's to never, address the issue. So to wrap, ending. the question is, do you lie to both therapists or one question or, or one therapist? Have we decided? No, yeah. I don't think there's an answer yeah. to this one, but it is time to take a break. This is flowing, flying by. We're going to be back with reaction to your problems in a lightning round of What's Your Problem with Rich Holland, Irene Papoulis, and Jim Chapdelaine. I'm Kyone Wolfen for Colin McEnroe. Please stay tuned. What's your problem? So what's your problem? What's your problem? If we have a problem, then I guess
guess we better solve them. What's your problem? Welcome back. I'm Kyone Wolf, and for Colin McEnroe with our live advice show, What's Your Problem? I'm here with Rich Holland, Irene Papoulis, and Jim Chapdelaine. And in this final segment, we're going to do a lightning round featuring problems sourced from you. All this week, our listeners have been sending us problems via the Colin McEnroe Show Facebook page and via Twitter at WNPR Colin. Now, our panelists have not heard these problems yet, and we're going to move pretty fast, and we're going to get to the point. All right, here's our first problem. I'm dealing with not hearing from my family in Puerto Rico and I'm feeling like no one in government cares. I hear more about the NFL than what's going on on American soil. That's a problem. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a, a real problem. Pro- that's an that's actual problem. problem. That is really a problem. So I, I don't know. I would think you look for vetted sites with which you can communicate with your loved ones as quickly as you can because that's got to be um, um, driving people crazy. Yeah. And there's Legitimately more and more. So. There's more and more yeah. now. Anger is appropriate. Yeah, anger is really appropriate. Anger is appropriate, uh, and uh, and use that anger to organize. Yeah, mm. and considering that, there's going to be a fundraiser at Real Artways on Tuesday the third. It's held by the Connecticut restaurant industry, so you know there's going to be some really really good food there. It's a twenty dollars suggested donation, but no one gets uh, sent away for lack of funds. It's going to be a lot of food and music. Um, also, I know I'm biased, but WNPR has been doing some amazing coverage over the last week and a couple days. Uh, if you go to our website wnpr.org uh, and you search Hurricane Maria. You'll see all the work we've been doing. Uh, we're having real local voices, real people who are who have had success in getting to their family members and getting in touch and are still frustrated. So, so check out the great work our reporters are doing. The next problem, I've been living in Hartford for a year, and I have very little luck dating. What do I do? Ooh. <laughs> Three married people. Okay, so... Don't call so, here. So. Don't, don't, don't <laughs> no. call me. No. There are yeah. apps for that. Yeah, yeah. There are apps for that. <laughs> and... Uh, and <laughs> go go out. Go to Real Artways events. On the third. Don't go to bars. Go to other places besides yeah, bars. Exactly. Why not bars? Well, I mean, bars is, is sort of, there's a price per pound thing on everybody, right? Everybody yeah. has their mm-hmm. sort of thing out there. It's, there's, um, I having played in bars a, a long time ago for a long time, there, there are several agendas that are front and center. So unless that's part of your immediate agenda, you might want to meet people at an interest place. Uh, yes. So if you like apple picking, <laughs> you, you go, go apple picking. Yeah. Orchards. You'll meet somebody who else who likes apple picking. I have another. And, and also, um, I my advice would be stop thinking about whether you like them and think about uh, – uh, stop thinking about whether they like you and think about whether you like them. Because the more you can your, – your energy comes from your own – you know, it's sort of a cliche for people to say, oh, you should think about yourself. You should, you should focus on yourself, which is true. But I think if you meet someone, if you can think to yourself – so many people say, oh, I don't know if he likes me or she likes me, mm-hmm. you know. But if you, if you can just sort of take your own power – and say, how do I feel about this? And let me right see if I can assert it a little bit. Yeah. That can be useful if you if you're worried that you know the dates aren't working out. And I and, totally and feel I totally feel this pain too. I was single for ten years in Hartford, and, and those were mostly ten years that I worked here. And so I'd go out a lot, and people were nice to me because they knew who I was, which was really cool. And the novelty never wears off on that stuff. But even considering that I had like this social clout, and I'm pretty outgoing, and I like. Having engaging conversations. Ten years I didn't find anybody right. and no one found me. It just didn't work. But But then, if it's not a quest, don't make right, that a no, quest. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Enjoy well, the yeah. time that you're single. The, well, what, what ended you up, won't be single and it's a different thing to enjoy. That's true. Right? And there's a certain like sense of like not you don't want to have to need being in a relationship because then if you are in the relationship yeah. 
you know where I'm going with that. But mm-hmm. I ended up uh, meeting my beautiful girlfriend, Emily, at the Hartford Slow Roll, which is a social bike riding group that uh, there you go. a Sunday afternoon, one hour through Hartford and um, just riding bikes and meeting again, like you were saying, yeah. things that are interesting to bar. you. Not and, at a bar. And Take you her and, to a bar and after. And you and Emily are awesome. I agree. Thank you. You know, and that's the thing. And you can see Emily at What's Your Problem. She's the lady of the box. Tweeted to us. And you should ask yourself if you like you when you're with that person. So we're we're kind of going a little bit beyond our purview here. She just, this. But this person just wants a date. That's a good <laughs> We've point. We've already qualified their entire relationship. Yeah, yeah I like that. And it, the, the yeah. whole idea of, too, about how... The person do you who look just up to this... messaged me is a therapist. Oh, good. So, yeah. <laughs> Noted. But I was thinking, like, do you look up to this person? Um, Emily's taller than me, so I, I do technically look <laughs> up to her. But do you look up to this person mm-hmm. when you're around them? And do you... It's, it's all the cheesy stuff that's like, you know, do they make you want to be a better person? But... Eh. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, and that the, is an aspect. And I would also add the aspect of the opposite of what I said before, which is listen to the other person. Like, really, really be curious about who they are because that also helps. So many times people just, you know, it's just like I want somebody by my side without really paying attention to who they actually are. And it's just so it's so That's sexy when someone is really paying attention to you, yeah. you know. I, I heard this question completely wrong. And, I, and again, I heard it through my lens, right? Yeah. Because I never have – I've never had troubles – with a date, I've had troubles getting a date. Yeah. And those are two yeah. totally different That's things. That's true. We sort of oh. jumped into when the yeah. date is successful. But that yeah. is our oh, show for today. If you want to check out the live studio audience version of What's Your Problem, it's at CT Improv's Underground Comedy Theater in downtown Hartford. It's every third Saturday. And the next show is October 21st at 7 p.m. Thank you so much to producers Betsy Kaplan and Josh Nalea on phones, to executive producer Katie Talarski for giving this a shot, and especially to our panelists Irene Papoulis, Rich Holland, and Jim Chapman. Colin's going to be back on Monday with news from over the weekend on The Scramble. I'm Kyone Wolf, and this has been... What's your problem?